I've got to make sure I'm doing this right because Andy will get on my case. Okay, it's recording. Um, last Sunday, Andy and I, or last weekend, four days, Andy and I were in Denver, Colorado, where we were leading a conference for churches and counseling centers and discipleship training schools, all about the things that we're doing in here. And if um, some of you were praying for us, I would just like to say thank you because the fruit of that four-day weekend was phenomenal and we saw a lot of people step into freedom for the first time and people take some of these things that we're talking about, walking by the Spirit and being free and bringing it back to their organizations or their parachurch or their churches. And so as fun as that was and exciting, I was really looking forward to coming back. And I know we have a smaller group with spring break, so you guys will get the special teaching today that no one else will get. And then I'm gonna make a plug for next Sunday because I know it's on the tail end for some of you for spring break. Next Sunday, we're gonna talk fully about forgiveness. And I know that that's a common church phrase but we're really gonna look at it in a different way and have some really practical steps to really walk in forgiveness so that you're not just speaking it, but your heart's still heavy even though you say, I forgive, I forgive, especially before communion. We're really gonna look at how do you forgive and forgive from the heart? You know, you're laughing because you know, okay, I gotta do this before I take the bread and the wine. But forgiveness is so crucial and it's a heart issue in the Bible. And so next Sunday, we're gonna spend most of the time on that and we're actually gonna do some practical application and some, some work by yourself and then some work in small groups. But mostly I'm gonna give you space in here to really walk this out. So part of the homework this week will be, think of someone you need to forgive. And I would say that if you're honest, you have at least one. There's probably one that's way up at the top. Um, on a really small piece, if you're like, no, I don't need to forgive anybody because I forgive all the time, just think about the person who cut you off in traffic on the way here in your heart response to that. Or think about strangers that you meet that you immediately have a judgment against. So I want you to be asking the Lord, Lord, who do I need to deal with and deal with truly? A lot of us carry years of unforgiveness and we kind of stuff it or shelve it or push it to the side, but I sit with enough people often enough to know that unforgiveness can just build and it's a slow build and it's like plaque on arteries that you really don't know it's there till it just comes undone and you end up in the ER. And so just be asking the Lord. Everybody normally has at least one person and we wanna take the time to really deal with it because that's really, unforgiveness is one of the most, um, resounding blocks against freedom and walking by the Spirit. In fact, if someone says, I really want to walk by the Spirit and I don't know why I can't, that's normally the place I'm going to check first. And so just simply this week, be asking the Lord. I'll probably send you some scriptures to look at too, so they're fresh in your mind when we actually walk this out next week. But today I'm going to finish what I heard Jeannie did so beautifully last week. And we're gonna talk about the last two foundations. If you're new to the class, because I know we keep getting new people in, we're referencing this book and you can get it very quickly on Amazon if you want to. And so when I'm referring to foundations, they're in here. But I would say not just for freedom and freedom prayer, the foundations that Jeannie walked out with you last week, they're crucial to walking by the Spirit. I've seen a lot of churches and parachurch ministries attempt to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, but they did not have the culture of honor, and it crashed and burned. And so these foundations are really, in my mind, really great anchors 
just for Christianity 101, just for doing life. And when you walk by them, you tend to have your relationship with God is, is just unhindered. Your relationship with other people is too. So I'm going to today try to get through the last two foundations, and we're going to talk about those. And then if we can start into forgiveness, I will. But I think we're going to hang here today just with the time that we have. And so let's talk about applying God's solutions. If we want to be people who are freed up, we need to do it the way God does it, right? We, we try to do it our way, and it doesn't work so well. And you're going to have to forgive me two things. I'm a lefty, so I don't have great handwriting. I should have had Jeannie do this because her handwriting was so beautiful. That's like perfection. Teach your handwriting right there. So I'm a lefty, and while my master's degree was in interdisciplinary fine art therapy, I cannot draw. I can help people get freed up with drawing. I'm much better in the music and the play part of that with kids and people, but I am not a good artist. So these are my stick figures and I'm gonna work with them a little bit here. When we apply God's solutions to be freed up people walking by the Spirit, first of all, we have to see people the way that God sees them. And so if you can imagine for a minute, pretend that this is one person, my three stick figures, and if they were standing right here, in fact, Sarah, can I borrow you just for, yeah. can, can you come up here? Just so it makes sense. So I'm gonna put Sarah right here. And I'm going to show you how to see her like God sees her. When we see someone, we need to see them 3D. Not Superman X-ray vision 3D, but 3D in the places that, that God sees them. So if Sarah is this person, I'm just going to split her up as if I'm seeing her in layers. Does that make sense? Because I cannot draw 3D people. So <laughs> pretend that this is like me looking at Sarah and I'm seeing layers in Sarah. Okay, you can sit down okay. now. Thank you. So, and this, the things that I'm gonna put up here are not Sarah's issues. I just wanna go ahead and say that, but I just needed you to see how we're gonna look at this person. So when God looks at people, he tends to see them in layers. And if you wanna check that, look at every verse about a divided heart and the brokenhearted, when you really start looking at the translation, God knows that we have different components. So let's talk about this first layer. This is the layer that we normally encounter first off when we meet someone or see someone. And we're gonna make this first layer, I'm gonna exaggerate it a little bit, but you're gonna know what I'm talking about. This is the layer in people, and he's, he's angry. This is the layer in people that all their stuff is coming out. When you meet someone and in your mind you secretly pray, please don't come to my small group. I know I'm supposed to invite you, but you have a lot going on. This is the stuff that God is gonna say, there's some things here that need to go. It can't stick around. Maybe they're an incredibly angry person, a bitter person. Maybe they're rude. Maybe they're unfaithful to their spouse. I'm gonna pick on pornography because it's just an easy one to pick on. Maybe they have this secret life of pornography even though they're in the church. God's gonna look at those things and say, that's gotta go. This has gotta come off this person. It cannot stay. It's a lot of the reason why they're having such a hard time in relationships. So this is all the stuff that we see and we encounter. When you meet someone and you think, they have so many issues, I don't even know if I can get to them because their stuff is, it's not hidden. They think it's hidden, but it's jumping off the page. And God says, you know, we're gonna do something with that. We're gonna apply God's solutions to get that gone. And the Bible gives so many, it's really easy to do. So that's the first layer. Then there's this second layer, and this is kind of my 
poor attempt at some walls. You can pretend they're brick or concrete. This is the middle layer of a person, and, and God really speaks to this in the Bible because this is something that we all do, and we're going to make this person kind of scared. That's a scared face. And so this person, this part of the person, puts up walls and defenses and strongholds. And you know, God made us with some really amazing defense mechanisms. Fight or flight is actually a pretty good thing in certain circumstances, right? If we're in something really chaotic or traumatic or an emergency situation, our ability as humans to respond, that's a God-given thing. But what happens when somebody is just fighting all the time because they're scared? What happens when they're flighting, they're isolating, they're running all the time because something has happened to them? And because they're wounded, because they've had trauma, walls, 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 walls go up. And so that's our middle layer. And God looks at that and says, you know, I don't need to boot that out. That's part of your personality. I just need it to be placed rightly. Have you ever known someone that maybe had something really, really bad happen to them? And if their life is a filing cabinet, that file of the really bad thing is in front and the papers are spilling out. No matter when you talk to them, how you talk to them, that file is overflowing. And God looks at that file and says, you know, I'm not going to erase it. I'm not going to delete it because he's a holy God and things happen in our story. But he says, I just want to take it and I want to place it rightly. I want to put it back in the filing cabinet where it happened, when it happened. So it's not spilling out and ruining someone's life. Have you ever known anybody? who's really clever and sarcastic and funny all the time. Do you know that person? I think every family has one. I mean, they're fun to be around, and God has given them the ability to put a group at ease with their humor, right? They can just kind of debulk all the pretense and make everybody laugh. Maybe they're self-deprecating. But what if this person is like that all the time? What if you can't ever get to anything real with them can have a real conversation because they use humor to put the blocks up and even the person's spouse or best friend can't get past that first wall of sarcasm and, and clever or whatever they're doing self-deprecating so God says I don't want to take that from them it just needs to be placed rightly so that's the middle layer when we look at someone and my favorite layer and no we are not angelic we we have our own makeup from God but this will help you remember it my favorite layer is how God really sees us. And he looks right through all of that stuff, just like I was looking at Sarah. And he looks right to the heart and he says, despite this, the stuff that needs to go, that needs to be dealt with, despite all the places where you put up defense mechanisms and walls so God can't get in and people can't get in, God looks straight to here and says, this is who I made you to be. This is who I created you to be, and this is who I see every time I look at you. I see a son or a daughter of God. Even if you feel like an angry orphan or just a servant with walls up, when we talked about identity a couple weeks ago, I see this part of you, and this is the part I'm interested in bringing up. Again, you can go look through so many scriptures with that divided heart, the, the wounded heart, the broken heart, to know we can act out of all these broken places. Even when we do that, God's looking here. When um, my husband and I first moved to San Antonio and word kind of got out in our church that we were freedom people and we were doing prayer ministry, 
And really all we wanted to do was make friends. We were new and we were looking for a group of people to have community with and run with. And there was one couple that we were really liking and really interested in just being their friend. And it took them forever to want to be our friend back. And we were like, we're likable people. We're fun. What's, what? What's going on? And they just kind of held us like this. And when they finally had us over for pizza, the wife met me at the door and she said, look, We've been wanting to do this forever, but we are just scared you're going to see all our junk and see right into the fake places that we are living in because we are not who people think we are. That was not even on our radar because we have trained ourselves, disciplined ourselves, and just worked that way naturally that all we saw was this. We knew exactly who these people were, and they were much more than they even thought because it's exhausting to live here with people, right? If I lived this way in the middle of Publix or Kroger, I would be exhausted because this is really obvious in a checkout line and I have pretty good discernment to get to here. I want to be doing this 24-7. I want to be looking at people and going, yeah, I'm aware of that, but I'm impressed by this. And so I told this poor lady and her husband when we had pizza, no, that's, that's not how we work. We actually know exactly who you are. And then we just proceeded to tell them, which probably scared them even more. But we, we really knew who they were at same church, the, the couple that took our spot when we moved here to lead this prayer ministry. The, the woman was placed with me. I was supposed to disciple her. And she was so upset about it. And I heard from her friend that she said, I don't want to disciple with her because she will see straight into my soul. Well, no, <laughs> maybe. But again, that's pretty exhausting. I had already looked past that and into here, and I knew that this woman was gold, right? We've got to be able to see people like this to be able to do this. Because if you try to apply God's solutions, you hang up, up here a lot, and it's exhausting and you don't get very far. I want to see people immediately right here because that's how God works. And so when we start applying his solutions, we look at people how he looks at people and we go, this is who they are. Now what do we need to do to deal with the other two layers? So that part of who they really are, that child of God, their place where their inner man interacts with the Holy Spirit, that just gets bigger and bigger. What if we just did church like that, where we just called that part up and out and said, no, you know what? I know you're doing this, and I know you've probably done this for years. That's not the problem. We'll deal with it. But this is who you are. Can you imagine if you just walked down the hall and people just said, this is who you are? I'm going to call that out. So we think about how God does things when we apply God's solutions, and he could do it a lot of different ways because he's God and he's unlimited. But he chooses to do things with words, right? How many times in the Bible do you see God spoke to, God said, God commanded? It's a word thing with him. And so when we apply his solutions, we use words because they matter. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know that's true because you've probably been on the receiving end of some really life-giving words and some words that just crushed your spirit. Think about maybe with a spouse, when you decided that day, oh, I think I love this person, but you sit on it and it's just in your mind. It gets real when you actually speak it, right? When you say something out loud, things change. And so we, we apply God's solutions using words because that's the precedent he sets in the Bible. 
we use tools to do that too. And if you're following in the book, I'm gonna do a really quick overview so you maybe understand the tools and then we're gonna revisit them over the next couple weeks so you get them a little bit more. So the first, one of the first weeks, Andy talked about this. Who wants bonus points? Who can tell me what this means? Anybody? He talked about it with parables in Luke 15. What's the W stand for? <coughs> oh yeah, some of you are reading good. What about E? Entanglement. Sin. Bonus points. Ungodly beliefs. What about here? The demonic. We haven't really gotten there yet. We're going to in the next couple weeks. So to apply God's solutions, we have to see people in the 3D layers and look at them with this lens. So this person that's angry and spouting off and bitter and upset and doing some sinful things he shouldn't do, we're going to deal with the sin, and this is for our own life too. We start with ourselves before we're handing out freedom. We're going to deal with the sin, but we have to have the lens. Why is this person like this? Is the person wounded? Are they acting out because they've gone through some terrible wounding and, and they don't know what to do with it? Are they entangled in something they shouldn't be entangled with? Maybe someone has some larger voice in their life than God does. Is it, is it sin? Is it just straight up secret sin? I've been praying with people for 20 years and very much increased in the last 10 years. And I would say there's maybe two times in all of those prayer times, and I'm somewhere in the late hundreds and numbers, two times that I've prayed with someone and it was just sin by itself. I've only seen two true prodigals that were like, yeah, I have a great life. I wanna see how far I can get. And they were both young men and they made it about a month before the Lord just went, uh-uh, and snatched them back. But their parents would drag them in and they were like, yeah, I don't have any wounding. It just seems more fun to do it the world's way. And we go, okay, we'll, we'll see you soon because that's not gonna go very far for you. Two times, most of the time the sin is a product of these other things. And so if we don't have that lens, we're not gonna get very far in our own life dealing with our stuff, but especially when we're dealing with other people. And so this, this layer that's all over the map, there's a reason they got there and maybe they're wounded, maybe they got wrapped up in something they shouldn't, maybe they just have a lot of ungodly beliefs like that older brother in the prodigal son story. And for some few, maybe they've stumbled into something in the demonic, which isn't so woo like it is in the movies. People stumble into it all the time. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks some more too. And so we have to look and apply these solutions for the lens. And when we do that, anybody, raise your hand if you've read in the book about the Fruit Loop, just so I have a gauge. Okay, so a handful of people. When we start looking at, well, how did I get here? We're gonna apply God's solutions and we're gonna look for the fruit. When someone says, I'm so angry and I'm mad and I hate the church and I hate my boss, you know, there's a lot of hate and anger in there. So that's the fruit. And we're gonna start asking the Lord, well, where did that come from? Because he knows, we might think that we know, but he knows. And the boot part, which we're gonna talk about some today, literally like give it the boot, we're gonna apply God's solutions and just do what he says. You know what one of the best things with the boot part is, is to confess it, to put it in the light, to put it on the table before God and safe people, and to repent. That's some great booting it out of there and getting it gone to repent and say, God, I'm turning a complete 180. I don't wanna live in this place. 
And then again, Andy made these all up and it's really fun that it rhymes and it's, it's catchy and you'll remember it when you're dealing with your own stuff in your life that keeps you from walking by the Spirit. Loot is just taking back what the enemy stole. It's saying, you know, God doesn't clear out a house and leave it empty, right? I mean, that's scripture. He's going to fill it up. So, Lord, the enemy stole this and I've been walking in this stuff. What do you want to put in its place? What do you want to fill my house up with now? And it's amazing and beautiful to hear what the Lord says in the replace. And the scoop part, that's just good church. That's good community. That's saying, okay, now we have this new freedom. Maybe some of this stuff right here got knocked out in our own life or if we're helping someone else. So now what do we do to keep it? The scoop could look like, well, I'm going to start hanging out with a mentor who maybe is a little older and a little wiser. And I'm going to ask them to just be accountable with me. So I keep my freedom. I keep the things that I've repented and confessed and gotten rid of. And maybe I'm going to do this Bible study. Or maybe I'm going to put scripture up in my room to remind me who I am and what's true. So that's the scoop part. And that's applying God's solutions. There are lots of places in the Bible where God has us use our words before him, before other people, to get the stuff gone that doesn't need to be there. But we have to look at it through this lens. I've trained a lot of prayer teams where this is the only lens, the sin lens that they look from. And so someone comes in the room and they say, here's what I'm doing. And it's the fruit. It's not the root. It's I'm doing all these things and my marriage is wrecked and blah, 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 blah down the line. And if we just look at the sin lens, we go, well, repent. I've seen people just blurt that out. And that is something that has to be done that maybe they're doing that because they're wounded. I've been on prayer teams where I'm training other people and it, maybe it's a mixed gender team and I'm leading the prayer time, but I'm with two male team members and the guy coming to get prayer is male. And this has happened more than once. This one example in particular, the guy comes in and he sits down and he's scowling at me and he says, I hate women. I'm like, that's always a great way to start. <laughs> prayer time's my favorite. I hate women. And I look at porn multiple times a day. What do you think about that? Well, in my flesh, I'm like, oh, you know, like, because we could respond that way. Like, what's wrong with you? But if I'm looking like God looks and I'm seeing this, even though he's doing a lot of this, and I know the foundations, the first thing out of my mouth I say is, well, there's a reason why you're doing that, right? That's one of the, I think it's foundation number five. There's always a reason. There's a reason why you hate women and pretty much hate me right now too because I represent them. And there's a reason why you have this behavior and that's just the fruit. Do you want to ask the Lord why? And with this one particular guy, and he was like over six feet, he was kind of intimidating. I said, ask the Lord why? And he just starts weeping. He's like, I was two and my mom drove away in the middle of the night left my dad there and it just starts unfolding and she had multiple abusive boyfriends of course he hates women right there is always a reason and when we ask god the root it becomes really clear now he had to deal he had to deal with all the things that he was doing wrong in his current marriage which was about to go down the toilet he had to deal he had to confess and repent and own the things he was responsible for but we did it through this lens because this guy had never had a dad and his mom was so unstable. He had no normalcy in his childhood. And so we did everything from that place of, 
he's acting like this because this is a wounded kid, even though he's a, a man in his 50s. And, and mom had let him get the tar beat out of him by multiple drunk boyfriends. Of course, of course he hates women. And at the end, he's apologizing. He's like, I don't hate you. And, I, and I'm like, I know, I know. Like, freed up people are not easily offended. I was not offended by all of that stuff. If anything, I get excited because I think we're going to get somewhere good because his stuff is jumping off the page. We are going to get somewhere good. And so a lot of his stuff in his current marriage was coming from this place. He's not going to let his wife in. In fact, he's going to be mean to his wife because he's put up walls. And after about four prayer times, this is the guy that we're dealing with. And this is the guy currently who leads weekends in San Antonio for men to come and deal with their pornography addiction. And it just took about six months of really good community and really safe men to walk with him to keep saying, no, 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 this is who you are. This is who you're gonna be. And he gets freed up and this stuff goes and these walls come down and his marriage is saved and his kids are happy. And wouldn't it be great if we did it like that all the time? I think so. I've seen it enough to know that it's a really good thing. And so when we talk about doing kingdom business, and we'll talk more about that in its own section in a Sunday or two from now, we're doing things like appropriating God's truth. We're really walking out forgiveness. Again, the plug for next Sunday, you're going to want to know how to do that. We are really walking out, what have I said that has really set me up for disaster with the enemy. Because if we believe what's true about the enemy, that he's lurking, that he's waiting to steal and kill and destroy. How many times did that guy say, I hate women, I hate them, I want them dead, I don't trust them, I wanna squash them, and he did, because he told me. How many times, how many years had he done that? And the enemy says, great, let's walk this out. Let's watch your marriage be a disaster. Let's watch any chance you had at relationship just, just go down the drain. The, you're fine. The enemy, the enemy is waiting, and he's more than willing to partner with our words. I prayed with a lot of adults that made vows, either spoken or unspoken, in their younger years. Prayed with a man one time who, at like age five, had heard so many times in his Hispanic culture that he was the black sheep of the family. I don't, I don't even understand how parents can do that, but they do sometimes where like the grandma or the abuela says, this little boy is, he's darker, he's cursed. And he just said, well, fine, I guess I am. I guess I'll walk that out. And in his prayer time, he did hours and hours of just confessing because he had agreed with the vow that someone had made and said, well, okay, I'm just gonna be the worst I can be. And he did, he had a lifetime of bad choices that came from agreeing with something, making a vow, and you know that enemy was right there going, yeah, let's, let's walk this out. Let's see what happens if we continue down this path. And so we use all the tools. And so my question, just because I've worked with lots of churches and come from a pretty conservative background myself is, well, where is all of that applying God's solutions in the Bible? Because you're certainly not gonna see the fruit loop in the Bible, that's Andy Reese's engineering mind at work to make it rhyme, where is this? And I'm gonna show you what I think is just a really good picture, even though it's not called the Fruit Loop or We Sued, it's in there. I mean, Luke 15 is We Sued. We just gave it a fun little acronym and little names. 
But if you look in 2 Samuel 12 and even 11, and you can look there if you want. I'm going to paraphrase a lot, but if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. This is the section um, in the Bible where David and Bathsheba and Nathan and Uriah, and so you see this just breaking apart of David when he makes a decision, right? And so he's, he's taken Bathsheba, and he has Uriah killed, and Uriah is this beautiful picture of Jesus taking it all, right? And he gets to the point, Nathan comes to him and tells him this story about taking a little lamb that is not his, does not belong to him, and David's outraged, and he says, that man should be killed. And Nathan goes, well, you're that man. And you see the, I mean, you can almost see it. I can feel it in my heart, just the conviction. And David, and bonus points for David, he says, I'm, I'm that man. I, I deserve the death I just spoke. And so that's this first little picture of doing kingdom business because he says, yeah, I have, I have a punishment here. I'm guilty. Somebody's got to pay for what I did. And so Nathan says, well, your life is going to be spared, but your son's is not. Something His son's sick with Bathsheba, the son he had with her. And you see David, and he's, he's prostrate on the ground, and he's grieving. And then there's this verse, I think it's 2 Samuel 12, 20, where it says, David got up, and he washed himself. He anointed himself. He changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. And in my mind, that looks a lot like this, and I'll tell you why. David washed himself. One of the quickest ways to see people get washed clean is confession, repentance, and putting it in the light. Because people walk around feeling really dirty and really broken until they do that. So he washes himself clean. He anoints himself, and anointing in the Bible has multiple different meanings and reasons as to why people anoint themselves. In this case, David anointed himself to mark the end of the morning because his son had died and stepping into the new phase in his life. I can't tell you how many times in a prayer time, sitting with someone formally or informally, you see that moment where God says, you don't have to sit here anymore like this. You don't have to grieve what you did any longer. You don't have to wish it didn't happen. You don't have to stay in this place where you feel less than and dirty and not good enough. That time is done. You can now move on. That looks like anointing when we see that. And, and that's, that's in this. That's in the doing kingdom business. It often happens right about here where you start booting out the things that don't belong and receiving the good and you go, it's true that the morning goes to joy. I don't have to agree with that anymore. I don't have to live out of that place anymore. So David washes himself. He anoints himself. He changes his clothes. Now, granted, they were probably pretty dirty because he had just been in that place before the Lord just prostrate before him. And he was ready to change clothes, I'm sure. But when we follow these principles and apply God's solutions, we do change our clothes. You take off the old man, you put on the new man. I can't tell you how many times we tell people, when that little lie comes up in your head again, you can go, no, that's, that's old Jen. She used to think like that. She used to do that. New Jen does this because God said it. I heard the Lord's voice. I don't have to do old Jen's stuff anymore. 
that was a part of my life. It is the history we're moving forward with the Lord. God is always about the future. The enemy loves to hang in the past. The enemy loves to regurgitate things about who you were, your old man. And you can really apply God's solutions and go, no, no thanks. I dealt with that before the Lord. New Gen does it this way. And so he changes his clothes out with the old man, in with the new man. And then what happens, my favorite, he goes to the house of the Lord. He draws near to God. He is back close to proximity because he has done the business. He's, he's repented. He is remorseful. He's confessed it before Nathan. He knows there was a debt that he owes and he deserves death. And the Lord, the Lord spares him. And he says, okay, I am I'm going back to the house of the Lord. I am no longer distant. The issue of proximity and nearness that we talked about in the first week, there it is. And then he worships. And often when we pray with people or we're dealing with our own stuff, this worship idea, it happens spontaneously. I have seen people hit the ground in worship. We didn't tell them to. We didn't say, now's the time in the prayer time when we worship, because that would be silly. It happens before we can get the words out of our mouth. They are on the ground weeping because the thing that had kept them blocked is no longer there and they feel free. That's the best kind of worship. Often we see a lot of this kingdom business happen just spontaneously because it's in people's heart. They come in, they confess the worst thing that they've ever done, that they've kept secret for years, and worship is the next natural thing because it has been the heaviest burden and the heaviest weight to walk around with those strongholds. It's really a beautiful thing. So in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we see all of this walked out really fast. Now, we pray with a lot of people who are on the end of that chapter. They come in and they're already walking out the consequence of wounding or sin, and they've been walking it for a long time, even the consequence of ungodly beliefs. What we want is people to come in, I think it's at the beginning of the 11th chapter there, when Bathsheba is just a thought, right? Wouldn't it be cool if we did community like that, where you go to your safe people and you say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Bathsheba and I shouldn't be and I don't know why. Will you help me ask the Lord, can we just deal with this? Wouldn't that be so great if we got it there? And so the goal is this. We want freedom and walking by the Spirit. We want it to happen. We want it to happen, though, in the 11th chapter. We want to be a community that goes after the little thought and you go, wait, why? I'm having this thought. Why is it there? I don't want it there. God, can you show me the root? Okay, let's deal with it. Let's boot out all the things that I am responsible for or deal with the ungodly beliefs. And now what am I going to do so I never walk it all the way to the end of the 12th chapter where I have a consequence now of a man dead, a son dead. And here's what's beautiful. We can read those chapters and go, David, that was so dumb. We're all him, right? We are. If you think you're not, you're foolish. We are all him on some way, some reason. And so we go, okay, what was God's response? Well, he got back with proximity to the Lord. He worshiped, but then God restored it. God gave him a son and continued this, this kingly reign. God restores it when we apply his solutions and do it his way. There's always restoration on the other side. Hopefully we're in a lifestyle of freedom where it doesn't have to look that bad. But I want to tell you for the handful of you who are in here that it looks that bad. 
there's a way out. And I am, I am not naive to think even at a church like Otter Creek that that kind of stuff doesn't happen. I know it does. Statistically, in a God-fearing Bible church, 70% of the men are entrenched in pornography. 20% of the women are. And I would say those stats are true because I've prayed with people for a long time. A handful have had abortions. A handful have dabbled in something demonic that looked religious, but it was really kind of messed up. And there's just 100% with some amount of ungodly beliefs. And the Lord doesn't look at that and go, well, I'm done with you. He says, no, those things are the problem. You children of God are not the problem. Use the solutions and work it out in community. That is what church looks like. There is a way out, and I've seen enough people get the way out that I'm confident that it works. So freedom like that looks like, yeah, maybe there's a time where you sit down with a trusted view and you say, okay, I have got to get this on the table before the Lord. And people have this idea that the table before the Lord looks like God on this side saying, no, child, I'm done with you. The table before the Lord looks like God with his arm around you saying, let's deal with this problem. You're not the problem anymore. Remember, I think Andy said that a couple times in here. You're not the problem when you're my kid. The problem's the problem, so let's deal with it like a father and son or a father and a daughter. <coughs> and so that event may look like one time doing that. There's maybe a, a couple that that's all they'll need. Maybe it's that one prayer time and they're like, I'm free. I seriously doubt it. I think you're gonna want a process because it's difficult, one, to keep your freedom if you don't just walk by the Spirit and continue to pursue it. But often the Lord deals with us in layers, just like He sees us in layers. Maybe I deal with this thing that's wounded me since I was five years old, and I get a lot of freedom from it, and I walk it out for a couple months or even a year, and then the Lord brings something else up that I'm able to handle now. The same issue but he's looking at something a little deeper. Maybe this is the place where I still get triggered because it's like a bruise. And the Lord says, you know what, Jen? I wanna speak back into that because I want you whole. I want you wholehearted. I want to help you look like me to imitate Jesus. Let's look at this. I've done a lot of ministry with college students and there was a time that they started making pretty snarky t-shirts about this whole process thing and they wanted to make them and they were often passive aggressive and the t-shirts would say, freedom, thought I was done, apparently not. Because in their mind, it was this one process of, okay, I, I did freedom prayer and I'm good and I'm done. And they weren't, it was just in layers because the Lord knows what we can handle. And what we know about unripe fruit, unripe fruit tastes really bitter. You try to pick unripe fruit, it is not the fruit you want. God has specific fruit that's ripe, and he says, deal with this with me. And then we wait for the other fruit to get ripe, and we deal with that. That's good for our own life. That's especially good when we're helping other people. If you go after unripe fruit, you may see a whole tree of unripe fruit. And if you start picking at it, man, especially parents to kids, it will go down the toilet. You cannot pick unripe fruit. Deal with the fruit that's ripe. And so we always give God permission and we say, what do you want to deal with, God? And it may be something you know. He may just show you something out of the blue and say, no, this is what I want to do today at the table with you. This is the stuff I want. And so we go after the fruit that's ripe and that's a process. And what you can take some comfort in 
is that that process is really sweet because God's a gentleman. I just spoke to a friend and she's in her late 20s and she pursued her freedom ferociously for the last three years. I mean, that girl went to every conference, every prayer time. I have never seen someone go after her freedom like she did. And the fruit shows. She looks like a different person. And she probably did, I don't know, six or seven prayer times to just get layers. And she came to visit me recently and she said, you know, had I gone after or had the Lord gone after this last thing that he went after, I would not have been able to handle it three years ago. I just was not in the state or the capacity to hear this or even go to that depth with him because she was so blocked off. She had experienced a ton of trauma. She said, but how sweet that he just did this and it wasn't painful. And she said, and I feel really different than I have ever felt. And that's how he works. We, we have an old house. I'm going to end with this as people come down the hall right now. We have an old house that we're kind of gutting right now in the Forest Hills part of Nashville. And we look at some of those things that we're going to have to peel off, and they look like it's going to be really painful, like wallpaper that's been on for 60 or 70 years. We started this process this weekend, and we're just scraping this wallpaper off because it's in layers. And it's really slow going at first. And then we sort of expect that everything else is going to look like that. So we went from the bathroom to the hallway last night with our in-laws, and we sprayed this stuff and held our breath. And that stuff is coming off, like we can just peel it off. We got the kids involved. We're like, hey, you can do this, this is easy. Let's just peel off these big long layers. It was beautiful. We expect that the process is gonna be painful. It's not. Sometimes it's like restoring a house. What's underneath when you start pulling away, it's gold, it's treasure. What happens when you take up the 1970s shag carpet? Hardwood floors, way better, right? And so I want to leave you with, start with an event, the lifestyle process, it will save your life. I, there is a mercy card for me that I learned this at 19 and I'm 41 right now. My life has been fairly painless even though it hasn't looked beautiful just because we knew these foundations and the way to do kingdom business with God. Start letting him be in a lifestyle of asking him what he wants to pull off. It's not scary, it's not painful. He's pulling it off because he's going after this. This is the hardwood floor underneath. This is the thing that just needs a little polish and a little bit refining. He wants to call this out. Mike, could you pray for us with all that? I just went, and I'll let you pray to end it.